0: welcome to the summit for wellness podcast where we help you climb to the peak of your health and
1: now here is your host brian carroll
0: Hello and welcome to episode 43 of the Summit for Wellness podcast. I'm your host, Brian Carroll. And today's episode is brought to you by Hana One, which is an Ayurvedic herbal blend that is packed full of adaptogenic and immune boosting herbs. And I love to use this product in the morning to give my body just a boost of mental clarity to get the day started on the right foot. I also use their go packs for when I'm out backpacking and hiking and doing some climbing trips. And they actually just released a product with cordyceps and a few other adaptogens uh, in there as well. So to learn more about Hana 1, go to summitforwellness.com/hanah. Okay, on last week's episode I gave a little preview about what today is going to be all about and it's comes from a question that I get asked a lot when I'm working with clients and questions that people send to me over in my emails, and it is how to create a healthy family or how to provide nutritious, healthy meal options and food options and ways to get their families moving. Now, I can give some guideline uh, to help people to get started in the right direction. However, I do not have kids yet, so... uh, I can't fully give a good idea of how well it actually will work or not, and that's why this week I brought on a guest, Amy Slater, to talk about how she has been able to implement really healthy practices in her own family, and she has some really good experience with this because she has twins to deal with, and it's not just one set of twins. She has two sets of twins, and... That is enough right there to keep you extremely busy, but she has found a way to be able to bring in healthy practices into her family and to provide nutritious food and to keep the family moving as well. So this episode is going to be talking with her about how she has been able to accomplish that successfully and what other moms can do for their families to provide the same type of options for their families as well. Amy Slater is the face behind MomsForHealth.com, and let's dive right into the episode with Amy Slater. Amy has been a fitness professional for over 17 years. She has her BS in nutrition, and she has also completed a fellowship in applied functional science at the Gray Institute. Amy is a strong advocate for nutrition, eating real food, children's, and women's health. Thank you for coming on to the show, Amy.
1: Hi, Brian. Thank you.
0: Seeing that you've been in the fitness field for over 17 years, and we both know that the churn rate in the fitness field is pretty high. Most people don't last more than five years. What made you so interested in staying in this industry, and what got you started?
1: Okay, so um, I originally started... um, Kind of following my brothers around they were football players in high school and i found it very interesting how they would go in the weight room and um, work out and i followed them around and i and i immediately um, felt connected to fitness to exercise and i started devouring all the muscle and fitness magazines at that time um, that was kind of the mid 80s and um then my interest evolved as I went through school, and I wanted to then get into physical therapy because I thought that was also interesting. Um, and then when I went to college, my interest was still in physical therapy, but it shifted more um, again back towards fitness as I worked in a in the university fitness center and um, and found that to be very rewarding in helping others um gain control of their health and their fitness everyone from students to seniors and also at the same time I was helping myself I was an athlete I participated in adventure racing and I played rugby and I was a mountain biker and a whitewater paddler in college. Um, and then when I graduated from school, well actually when I was in college uh, my initial Pursuit was that of physical therapy Um, But I kind of shifted gears and I switched over to nutrition because I um, I found that to be very interesting and the curriculum for nutrition at Western Carolina was um, Was heavily science-based and we got to work on cadavers and there was a lot of biology courses and I found that very interesting So I pursued my nutrition degree and let go of my sport management um, bachelor's degree. And then when I was going through and I was going to go through and get my registered dietitian license, I started doing the hours um, for the requirement to get my registered dietitian license. And I found it very confusing that at that time, a lot of the dietitians that I was shadowing appeared to be somewhat unhealthy to me and contradictory to health Um, there was a lot of diet coke drinking there was a lot of low-fat products a lot of food products in general and um, that didn't completely make sense to me it felt like something was off there Um, so i did not pursue my registered dietitian license instead i graduated from school and started working in personal training Um, and i initially started out again working with seniors and um, at that time that I was still training heavily and I was um, trail racing and road racing and I started experiencing some injuries myself. Now I was in my early 20s and I've been racing for a few years. And so I started trying to discover the reasons behind my own injuries while, while trying to um, understand the reasons behind my clients injuries and how to help them and help myself at the same time and so i um i went forward with more education and pursued a fellowship of applied functional science which i know you're quite familiar with and um that reconnected me to fitness and helped to give me a lot of the whys behind what i was seeing was happening and give me a lot of the rationale and completely shifted my thought process on training in general and just basically wellness in general. And um, that helped to propel me forward in my um, fitness career and reconnected me to it
0: it's pretty interesting that a lot of professionals such as trainers and practitioners tend to learn a lot from their own health issues such as injuries or any other health issues that they might experience. So I love to hear that you went through that process of injuries and you set back and decided to take a look at that and figure out how can I now apply this to the people that I work with instead of just focusing on yourself. So I love that piece.
1: Absolutely. I think it gives you a, a sense of the client and what they're going through because you've been through it yourself, not that your experience matches their own, but it gives you a lot of tools, practical tools that can be applicable to them as well.
0: So you mentioned that you started with seniors. Did you notice there was at some point a change in the clientele that you were working with or did it slowly adapt um, more towards children and uh, mothers over the years?
1: My shift towards mothers and women um, started after I became pregnant with my first set of twins. That's when I started to really understand the importance of women's health and the lack of support here in the United States for women's health because I did not receive the support and care that I felt that I needed, and I didn't have the knowledge base. Even being a fitness professional, going through a a gift fellowship, I did not have the knowledge base for women's health and for my own care coming out of my pregnancy.
0: And if people didn't catch that, you said your first set of twins, (laughs) which means there's another set of twins in there as well, which means you definitely have your hands full.
1: Right. I have a set of twin boys who are seven and a set of twin girls who are three.
0: So when you were diving into ways to help moms at, at the same time, were you looking at how to help the children that they're taking care of? Or did that come on a little bit later?
1: I felt like it went hand in hand because my, um, as I was, as I was recovering my own health and, um, understanding and learning a lot through mentors from gift, I started learning a lot about the, cellu- the importance of cellular health and the importance of nutrition and its impact, its huge impact on our physiology as a whole, that it's not just food, it's not just calories, it really is the construct of our bodies. And um, applying that not only to adults, but to children, it just, it seems to make sense.
0: And you ran into a health issue right after your first set of twins. So what was the health issue that you went through and what was the process you uh, discovered along the way of trying to figure out how to help yourself in that process?
1: That really was the catalyst to Moms for Health and, and my pursuit of understanding why. And what happened was after I gave birth to my boys, I my health started to break down significantly. I was not nourishing my body to support breastfeeding twin boys. I, I nursed them for 11 months, but in looking back, um, it I was not feeding myself what I needed to to support um, their nutrition, nor my own. I developed joint laxity, um, pain in my back, pain in my hips, ongoing just symptoms that I couldn't put a complete finger on what was going on, and it really came back to my body was basically eating itself. Um, I lost a lot of weight very, very quickly after the twins, and I looked fantastic. I was lean, I was still very muscular, but I felt terrible, and I couldn't care for them the way that I can care for my girls now Um, because of how I'm taking care of myself now. I felt uncomfortable holding them, it was easier to put them in the stroller and walk them around because I couldn't get them in and out of the car seat properly. A lot of it traced back to my diastasis and that I didn't know I had at the time. And then also my nutrition.
0: Because you weren't supplying yourself with your nutritional needs. Correct. Were were you uh, withering away at all? Like, were you losing a lot of weight during that process as well?
1: Oh yes. I lost a lot of weight very quickly. I, I was very, healthy and supportive during my pregnancy, but postpartum, and this is what I see a lot with women, and it's understood because body image is absolutely huge, just the women's perception of her abdominal profile postpartum is a cause for a lot of lot of concern. And my perception of myself postpartum was I needed to get myself back into shape, I was a fitness professional, I needed to look the part, And I couldn't have this extra weight I was carrying around. Um, It also, so it was more of, it was a mental thing for me. It was the first time in my life that I had been not physically looking like I was in shape. And um, it was a big mental hurdle that I had to get over.
0: What are some of the the, uh, stereotypes that women face? after pregnancy that they need to get back to? Do they, is it like a certain time frame they need to lose a body weight or a certain size they need to get back to?
1: There's a lot of information and you'll see a lot of images on the web, whether it's from, I mean, it's heavily social media or it's, um, celebrity that's showing women, you know, six or three, two, three weeks postpartum, or even less than that, that are, back to a flat stomach or they're back in the same size pants you know and it it's really a stigma that hangs over women and unrightly so when this is the time that you really need to flood yourself with nutrients and it's difficult because you're tired because you've just had a baby and then you have this other image in your mind of I should be doing this, or I should be doing that in terms of exercise or lurking a, looking a certain way. And it really is, it's very, very difficult on a woman when their main focus should be on their recovery. And, um, I went through training with Jenny Burrell um, out of the UK and it was absolutely phenomenal. And their approach to women's health and, care postpartum is completely different in Europe than it is in the United States. And the focus is more on the woman and her recovery um, from that pregnancy.
0: You wanna dive into that a little bit more? What, what does the differences look like?
1: So they're gonna receive uh, postnatal care. They're gonna receive um, women's health physical therapy, which I when I went through my um, postpartum check, At six weeks, I was given the okay, and I was being seen by um, University of North Carolina, Maternal Fetal Fetal Medicine, which is the best of the best for pregnancy care um, because of the high-risk pregnancy with the twins, and I was given the the green light to go ahead and do all activities where I had a huge diastasis, and nothing was said to me about postpartum um, care, about women's health PT, I didn't even know it ex- it existed until um, a year after I had had the the boys and was still trying to figure out what was going on with my diastasis. So they're going to receive women's health physical therapy. They're going to be have a more um, supportive environment of um, resting and recuperating in that postpartum period.
0: So over here in the states, are women expected to figure all this out on their own then
1: it's changing because of fitness professionals and that are increasing their knowledge um tina christie another gift fellow which i know who i know you know is is just you know leading the movement in this in the united states with her education and there are a lot of fitness professionals that are starting to understand and influencing physicians about the importance of care But yes, there is is the stigma that you need to just launch right back into um, your routine, that that's normal and acceptable. And I think what happens is then women will try to do that and then have a complete health fallout um, as a result of it or unfortunately have lifelong consequences because they've tried to go back to whether it's baby boot camp or it's trying to go to these stroller size classes where they're just a couple weeks postpartum and they haven't reintegrated their core. So they don't have the reconnection to the pelvic floor. Um, A lot may be suffering from either prolapse or diastasis or just um, a loss of neural connection to the pelvic floor. And then trying to do too much exercise too soon and undernourishing the regrowth of connective tissue and you can see it's a perfect storm
0: right and I have Tina Christie coming onto the show next week to talk all about the pelvic core so oh awesome. that's a that's a great lead-in for that so you also mentioned before that you had some mentors right after your first pregnancy and when your health went downhill that helped to uh, kind of change the way that you were eating so what did these mentors teach you about the food that you're putting into your body
1: Yes, um, I went to California uh, when I was hitting a wall and I was at about 11 months postpartum. And I went, you can understand, I left my newborn babies to go all the way across the country to meet with Lenny Parasino. And um, I, i had been friends with lenny and known him for years and he agreed to meet with me and to consult and see why i felt so unbalanced why i felt so disconnected the whole right side of my body just didn't seem like it was connected to the left and it was because my hips were so tight in trying to guard from the lack of control through my um through my abdomen through my diastasis and so everything else was protecting i didn't know that at the time but when he went out and evaluated me he looked at that and but then we also started discussing my nutrition and at that time I was eating very low fat. I was um, eating a lot of just lean products. I wasn't using um, thinking nutrient dense anymore. I was thinking how to recover uh, my aesthetics and he introduced me at that time to paleo, and I was like, what is this? This sounds really cool. And I, of course, knowing the expert that Lenny is um, and the wealth of knowledge he brings, I I dove right into it. And it made complete sense to me. And I went in. I'm the kind of person that goes in 100%. <laughs> if you've read any of my blogs, you may recognize <laughs> that. And I dove in, and I and I was so grateful because my boys were just starting to eat solid foods. And I had been actually with them following the Weston Price principles and their first foods were liver and egg yolk and breast milk, but I wasn't applying it to myself. And I started applying it to myself and my health started to shift and things started to change. And it was was pretty powerful. It was encouraging. It was empowering. It made sense, just like when you start to learn and gift that there are certain fundamental principles that you can always follow and then you have this immense toolbox and it's empowering that you can take control of your health that these things that were happening to me was not a mystery it was there was no magical cure it was something that i needed to fix because of what i was putting in my body it was it was something that i could control and i did that and i dug deeper, and over the years, my approach to nutrition has evolved, and I've added things in and taken things out, but all four of my children have followed a paleo-type diet the whole time. Um, they have had ice cream now, you know, and they've had, um, let's see, they've had they've had chocolate. You know, they've had, they're not like, we're not living on a plantation somewhere. We're normal people, but um, yes they followed a paleo uh, type diet their whole life with the exception of raw dairy and i've you i followed it for let's see the seven years now and it's been awesome it's been an awesome journey huge huge changes in my stability um from a physical standpoint my i can do more now i'm stronger now after two sets of twins than i was when i was racing um road bikes
0: Do you think that's strictly from the nutritional change that you made? Or do you think that's just because you're more aware of like your pelvic floor and the pelvic core and everything that's attached to that as well?
1: It's a combination of both. It's training. You know, I I follow, um, obviously, I follow training in all three planes of motion. I also follow loaded movement training principles and putting lines of force through my muscles. But then when I'm training, I'm thinking about how can I feed the growth of this connective tissue instead of thinking about how can I stay under a certain number of calories a day. And that was my mindset for so long. And, I've, and I understand that mindset being in fitness for a huge part of my life. Um, but it's a dangerous mindset, especially for women, especially for women who have had babies for that to be their focus and it would be really, really amazing if the focus could shift to life function, because there are so many things that we don't think about after we've had, just after we've had an infant or a baby and you're thinking about getting back into shape and you're doing things to physically make your body look better, but most likely not to function better. And once those toddler years hit and the kiddos are running all over the place, they don't have the, they're not always going to listen to you stop when they're running across the street. You've got to have the ability to chase after them and not pull your hamstring or not strain something in your back or to pick up a car seat or to push a stroller. And it sounds simple when you're fully intact in the prenatal period, but after you've had a baby, things change and you need to have the stability and the ability to, to change, to move, to to take care of those, those kids.
0: And does the body change after every pregnancy, like between the first set of twins and the second set of twins did, was there a big change between those two as well, or is it (laughs) along the same lines? Yes. Okay. Yes.
1: Things will never look or be in the same position. (laughs) I know that one educator told me that it takes two years just for your organs to go back into place. Um, a lot of what I know now about what ch- <laughs> what changes physically after you've had babies or what happens it's first of all it's amazing but second of all, if I had known all the things now, it would have been a lot scarier going into that second twin pregnancy i'm I'm kind of glad i i I had a little of blinders up to that um but yes things are are much more it are much different and though I would like to go back to um trail racing and it's, gosh, it's a passion of mine. I would would absolutely love it. For my um, abdominal wall, it wouldn't be the best thing. And now my training focus is completely different. It is lifelong function, preserving my abdominal wall, preserving my pelvic floor forever, because, you know, continence is pretty huge. Fortunately, (laughs) I didn't have any type of uh, prolapse immediately postpartum. I did recently. I was diagnosed with a small um, rectocele, which is a weakness in the posterior pelvic floor, which I manage by maintaining hip mobility and by um, continuing to load the rotation of my hips, which loads that posterior pelvic floor and um, and make sure that it it stays in check as well as using the pelvic core
0: ball. Awesome. That's all good to know. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that you. Ended up spending some time with Lenny because I had him on the show. I think it was episode 12, and he's totally a wealth of knowledge. But I know you went through a gut healing protocol. Is he the one that put you on that gut healing protocol, or did you go elsewhere for that?
1: After I saw Lenny and I was going through the uh, the, the paleo um, nutrition approach. Everything was really working well. Um, and I can't remember exactly the timeline. I, I'm pretty sure I outlined it on my blog at some point, but I, I started experiencing some gut symptoms where I had more bloating. And when you have a diastasis, which is another reason we could talk about that in a second, bloating is is not a good thing because it's going to continually keep pulling at that webbing at when your body is trying to knit kind of back together and you have that strain that intra- intra-abdominal pressure is not good for the abdominal wall so i really needed to get a handle on it not only that but i was experiencing joint pain and i could trace it back to my gut now at this time i was as i am now still making my own sauerkraut everything in my diet was quote perfect except for i had new twin boys who were now talking and running around and I was i'd still consider myself a newbie to momhood and this was they were probably two and so my stress level was was different <laughs> it was more and it was impacting my gut health and so i pursued um, naturopathic medicine and there was a great naturopath in raleigh here in raleigh north carolina who put me through um uh, a testing protocol where we did blood work and a stool test and found that I had dysbiosis in my gut and that I also had leaky gut and where you have um, holes in your, basically holes in your abdominal lining and proteins are leaking out and your body is attacking those proteins. And so I went through a gut healing protocol with using supplements with her and it took about six to nine months. And it was like somebody, it's like when you put on glasses for the first time, it's like, wow, Mm -hmm. I can, I feel so much different. It was, it was pretty remarkable.
0: So six to nine months. So you're on supplements and then you're also, did you have to change the way you were eating as well? Or was it more just a supplemental support?
1: They found that I had an intolerance to nuts. Um, which wasn't a new information for me because I never really felt quite right if I'd eat peanut butter or something, but I just, I thought I didn't really attach it to anything. Um, And then also eggs and mushrooms. So I had to eliminate those three things also for nine months. And then I was able to reintegrate them in periodically. I have a sensitivity to all now. Um, So eggs, uh, I can rotate them in every once in a while, but it can't be something daily and um, nuts and seeds have to be soaked and sprouted uh, which you do which i do anyway for the kids so it's not a big deal and i don't i don't have them every day maybe a couple times a week in small amounts Um, and then i also support with glycine rich foods every single day and i have throughout my pregnancy um, and then especially in the postpartum period and i do for my kids as well so basically whatever i do for myself i do for the kids um, and that's what kind of launched me into the thought process of kids' nutrition is thinking, well, if this is good for me, why wouldn't it be good for their growth as well? So they have bone broth, they have collagen support, um, and then they also get some targeted supplements.
0: And that's a great lead way because a lot of the women that I have worked with, they tend to do a different diet for themselves compared to what they provide their kids. And a lot of them, because the kids are in school and they're exposed to a lot of other processed foods, they feel like they get a lot of backlash from their kids about trying to eat healthy. So can you go into some strategies to um, give moms to be able to get their kids to start eating good foods for them?
1: Right. Um, if you are a new mom and you are just, you have a like a toddler, maybe one or two, start now and don't stop. So what I see with a lot of my moms that I work with is it'll start with, you can do the baby purees and it's really easy when they're little and you can get them to eat. Um, consistently because they don't have any other choice, they don't have any social influence, they don't have any real extreme flavor, sens- you know, sensitivities or cravings, they eat what's in front of them in most situations. Um, but then as they start going out with friends and they experience a cracker, they experience a cookie, then they start, it, it starts to get more difficult and they start eating more and they go through growth spurts and so the demand on mom becomes more and that's when and you're tired and you're trying to control your own body weight or you're trying to change you know stick with your own nutrition and then you're trying to feed your kid and so it becomes very complicated. It's not just as simple as making them a sandwich right So you have to have a plan and then you have to have another plan and then you have to follow both plans <laughs> And so that really is the secret is start early and stay consistent. On my blog, I have tons of resources of different meal combinations and ideas about how to meal plan and what strategies to use, but it, that's really what it comes down to. It's, it, it comes down to meal planning, and it comes down to consistency, and then understanding that your kid is going to go through growth spurts, and they're going to be eating tons, and when they do, that is the time to... Number one, flood them with nutrients. Every single bite counts, right? So, giving them, if they're really, really hungry, giving them a cup of goldfish is not the best, right? I mean, it, you shouldn't beat yourself up if you've done that, but we can do better. So, instead of a cup of goldfish, um, take out the cracker and supplement or, or change that up to a mixture of vegetables and whole fruits because it's going to do better for them long term. They're probably going to throw a fit. And they're going to be really, really mad at you and will be very, very stressful. But long term, it's going to be better for them because you're going to be creating this huge, huge nutrient supply for them. For the rest of their lives, they may avoid situations like autoimmunity, which is I'm sure you've seen and understood being in fitness and wellness is just rampant in our country. Obesity, allergies, lots of different things can be prevented by early gut health in children. So it's easy to make comments and to say that it's important and all moms want to do the best that they can do for their children. So let's just take something simple like the witching hour where you have, right before dinner, it's like maybe three o'clock. And I don't know, it seems every child is starving at three o'clock. So do you move dinner up to three o'clock and then you have an all night snack fest until bedtime? that's up to you. But I, my strategy on this is to give them something at this time that you, something a little bit from dinner. So whether it's like, they're really, really hungry. Great. So you give them something now, some of their vegetables now mixed in some with something they really like. So for the girls, I'll give them half of their salad, or all of their salad depending on how hungry they are with a piece of cheese or with a piece of chicken or with a a half of an epic bar or something that they really really like to pique their interest in the snack versus at that time if i just gave them a big bowl of their salad they're three they're gonna look at me like you know i'm the devil and (laughs) but if i give them instead A half of their Epic Bar, it's going to draw them to the snack. They're going to eat the Epic Bar, still be hungry, and eat their their salad. If they choose not to and they throw a fit, then you just got to put your foot down. And you've got to say, no, this is what I have for you. If you start making two meals for your kids, I can promise you, you are locked into it for a very long time. And especially if you introduce to them, the fun dinosaur-shaped chicken nuggets or like Kraft macaroni and cheese, they are going to be hooked on that stuff because they don't have the understanding like we as adults do that, hey, this is not the best for me. You know, I should be eating something that's healthy for me, that's making my body feel good because they're resilient and they may feel okay afterwards. They're not going to choose to eat healthier food if the fun, junky food is on on their plate every night
0: and if they don't like a food the first time they try it that doesn't mean that they'll never like it a lot of studies show that it can take up to 12 times for uh, kids to develop a, and having them try it and eventually they might like it
1: i mean there are many nights many nights that i know that i'm putting this salad on the plate or i'm putting this um i don't know it's something they don't like uh they usually usually like all meats but let's just say it's um it's a different looking pot roast or something and it's not it's not a hamburger in a hamburger shape you know it's gonna sit there and they may push it away and say no or they may eat only one of the things on their plate Um, that's why i always have something that i know they'll like on their plate whether it's avocado or olives or a hard-boiled egg and i'll also have all the other food on their plate as well And if they don't eat the others, you just keep giving it to them because they'll know it's always going to be on their plate. And I have a one bite to be polite policy that you got to give at least one try, you know. And if you don't like it after that, nobody is ever forced to eat. And you don't have to eat your dinner. But if you don't eat your dinner, you don't ask for something else. I'm not making something else. And we're going through this with my oldest, my seven year old. And he is just so persistent and and very, very creative. I must say he'll probably be a lawyer or something one day. Um, but he tries to finagle his way out of it and we'll, we'll lay on the couch and say, he's starving and (laughs) just give me something else. And you just have to say, no, you know, your dinner's on the table and you're not forced to eat, but you need to, if you're hungry, you need to eat what's on your plate and eventually he'll come back and he'll eat his dinner. Um, but that's just the way it is. And because you can't be a short order cook, motherhood is stressful enough. We don't want to make food a source of stress. So that's the other thing is making this fun. So a lot of times the girls won't eat a big salad on their plate at dinner, but they'll eat that same salad when I'm, when they're helping me put it together on the table or if they go out or on the, on the counter, if the, or if they'll go out to the garden and we'll pick the ingredients for the salad, they'll sit out there and eat raw dill or they'll pick the kale out of the garden and just like little rabbits start eating it raw without anything on it just right out of the garden great do that (laughs) it doesn't matter if you're not going to eat if you're going to eat it there versus on your plate no stress right so sometimes it's the environment where you present the food or how you present the food uh, which can make a really big really big difference in whether or not that they will eat it
0: and earlier when you were talking about the witching hour it seems like at 3 p.m they get super hungry. Yeah. Is that just the kids that are in school? Or is it your uh, daughters as well?
1: I don't know. It's both. You know, it's kind of a trend. Once one says they're hungry, they're all magically hungry, whether they are or not. So of course. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how that works. Another fun trick to getting them to eat if you're having a really hard time with the little guys is to have a night and it's a little bit of a pain. But if they have a night where they can um, choose their their thing that they eat the the food out of. Instead of eating it off a plate, they can eat it out of a muffin tin, or they can eat it out of a pot, <laughs> and then they can use their hands, or they can use chopsticks, or they can use toothpicks. But it's amazing how a more how much more appealing certain food is. So I'll do that if I have a if I have a new dish that's like an all vegetable stir fry with scallops and shrimp which sounds amazing to you and I, but to them it's daunting, right? (laughs) So they'll put, they'll, they'll eat it out of an enormous salad bowl. They'll have like a, you know, a small scoop in this giant bowl and they think it's just the coolest to have these enormous bowls in front of them with a toothpick. And that's how they get to eat their dinner or they get to sit on the floor and eat whatever They're, It's the food. It's them developing that palate for the food. Number one that I'm interested in and then them ingesting those nutrients every single day, right? that I'm interested in. Drink your broth with a giant straw. Great, <laughs> you're still getting it and it, it, it works. It really does, they, they, think it's, they think it's awesome.
0: So you kinda have to get creative and just make eating fun so it's not as stressful.
1: Absolutely, because if you make it stressful, it's stressful to you and then we know that uh, if you're stressed at mealtime, you won't digest your food and you spent all this time making this awesome nutrient-dense food and the kids are stressed and you're stressed and it's miserable so make it low stress and just try to roll with it while at the same time understanding the importance of it so once everybody is in a mode where i think that they're listening to me at least i'll i'll tell them you know what are we eating or we go out to the garden what is this that you're you're clipping with your safety scissors what are you trimming and you tell them about it and what it's doing for their body. So my girls know that sauerkraut puts the good bugs in their tummies. And that's why they're eating it because it pushes the bu- bad bugs out in their poop. And, you know, anytime you talk about poop <laughs> with kids, that's that's a thumbs up, right? So <laughs> talking about that too. And, and you just, you have to connect them to it, connect them to the value in it without making it like this fearful thing, like they're scared of food or all you know some foods are bad we don't ever talk about certain foods are bad we talk about certain things that are made to look like food that are just chemicals put together to trick you into thinking they're food right so (laughs) that's why we don't eat them because it's not actually real food that's why we give the candy to the switch witch it's not actually real food it's just chemicals put together to look like food
0: so then as we move away from food moms are already super busy, especially if they have two sets of twins. (laughs) But in general, they're going to be busy. If they have a job as well, then they're going to be extremely busy. How can they find time to exercise?
1: Well, for me, I have to do it before everybody is awake. And my home gym, putting money or um, investing, I don't buy clothes. I don't get my nails done and I don't get my I don't buy purses and all that stuff. My value, and it's not just because I'm in fitness, I just find there's so much reward in it is in the equipment that I am investing in for my little home gym, my home gym in the the garage, right? There's something just so important about that in my life that I see so much return on that investment. So for me, it's investing in a space that I can go out before everybody wakes up in the morning and train and get my workout in not only just first thing in the morning but then the kids can come out there with me at different times of the day whether i have just movement breaks or i need a you know a mental break and go out there and and use my viper or get on the power plate or something like that that they can see also that mommy is doing this to take care of herself and then i can teach them movements as well to take care of them But for, if you're not looking to, or if you don't have the resources, let's say, to invest in a home gym, how do you fit this in? How do you, How do you make it work? You can start small. And I would say invest in a great trainer that knows women's health. Get yourself an education. Go into it knowing that you are going in there for lessons to know how to take care of yourself. And tell your trainer that, look, I have a limited amount of money to budget. This is something that I need you to teach me. Go in there and train with them for six, eight sessions to get you to a place where you know how to take care of yourself for the next couple months. Then go back and do three or four sessions and get another bit of education. Take that information and use it and apply it every single day. You may get targeted equipment that you need to work with at home. So tools like the Viper and Um, Pelvicor Ball. I'm an ambassador, global ambassador for Viper, and it's an invaluable tool. It's a small investment, and you have thousands and thousands of movements that you can authentically train your body with every single day in your living room, in your backyard, and you can load in so many different ways with one cylinder. It's amazing. And then the Pelvicor Ball is, is also a unique tool that's just Invaluable to women and uh, men as well. But if you're experiencing any type of pelvic floor dysfunction, or even if you aren't and you want to maintain great function long-term, it's, it's a great investment. That's a small investment. And then on the time-wise, how do you do, with, how do, you do this with kids? Involve them. <laughs> Start them early. Teach them the value of movement early and the value of moving together early. My boys, I had them out mountain biking um, very early, and it was very difficult. I'd have to walk behind them on a the trail initially, and then I could jog behind them and kind of push them through um, difficult parts on the trail, but they learned early the value of movement and the value of exercise. Take them on walks with you, go to the park with them, go on hikes, find, connect them to the value of movement, and um, you'll get you'll be getting your workout in. And then they will as well.
0: And that's a great way to build up family time as well. Because you're spending more time with the kids.
1: Yes. And that will connect them. There's so much research out there that shows not only for a food standpoint, but also from a commitment to health that, hey, this is what our family values. This is our commitment as a family. We eat great real food. That's what we put in our body. And we move every single day. You create a movement and a wellness culture in your home. And that is the value system in your home and that they can always fall back on for the rest of their lives. They'll know how to take care of themselves through both through exercise, movement, um, and then also through nutrition. It's a go to.
0: Yeah, that is awesome. And at your website, momsforhealth.com, and that's the number four. You have recipes on there, you have different information, how to empower mothers to be able to take care of themselves while they're taking care of their kids. Do you also have workouts on there as well?
1: That is gonna be slowly being added. Um, This is a project that I could do in very uh, short snippets of time while the girls were sleeping, but (laughs) quite unfortunately now, they are not sleeping anymore. They are not taking naps. Um, So that time is gone. Uh, so my time is very small that I have, but they're going to be heading off to preschool a couple days a week in the fall. So I'll be able to invest more time on adding some postpartum workouts on there. But you know, Brian, it's so individual. And so my, my pieces that I'm going to add on there are going to be more educational snippets on how to create your own. Um, because if you can identify your own functional weaknesses and strengths, that gives you a foundation to build off of. Versus just following what works, you know, like a postpartum. That's why I don't really like these, like, six-week or these six-month postpartum, get your belly back, ugh, it's, I don't know. I don't even get me started on that, part programs.
0: Oh, those little cheeky challenges. Oh, yeah.
1: That, that's, <laughs> and that, yes. And if we can stay away from anything, stay away from the challenges, ladies. They are so detrimental long-term. And most often, and I don't know if you you feel the same, Brian, but more often than not, they backfire because it's, it's an unrealistic, unsustainable challenge that doesn't fit your world. So what works for me and my family is not going to work for everybody else's family, but it's the thought process behind it. And maybe you can take snippets of it and apply it to how it works for your family. And that's the most important thing is do the best you can until you know better. And then when you know better, do better. And do better every day. And that's all you can do as a mom.
0: Yeah, what the challenge is, I think it can definitely be a motivator for a lot of people to get started, but the bounce back afterwards, cause it's like right when that challenge ends and everybody thinks whatever they were working on, it's over now right. and the bounce back can be 10 times worse than where they originally started. So that's one of the problems I have with the challenges on top of it's not very individualized as well. Like you were saying.
1: Absolutely. Good point.
0: Okay. I have a couple of quick questions here for you. Um, these are more fun questions, so mm-hmm. there'll be a uh, rapid fire and then you can answer them and okay <laughs> any way you want. So first off, do you have a morning routine? And if you do, what is it?
1: Yes. I get up and I tiptoe around the house, very careful not to wake anyone up. I get up at four o'clock, four Oh three, because it sounds better than four o'clock <laughs> <laughs> in the morning. And I either go swim or I head out to my garage and I have all my toys out there that I use, or I'll go for a jog, a 3d jog in the neighborhood. Um, and I have an hour and a half to two hours. Typically before everyone wakes up, but in order for me to have this time I have to plan the night before all the lunches have to be made the day before Otherwise that kills my morning routine time I don't have because that I have to make the lunches and then I have to have their snack ready and here's a little trick If you're looking to get supplements in your kids, let's see my kids get fish oil and they get um, um, Probiotic in addition to the fermented stuff they eat and they get it in a little bit of applesauce so they think they're getting this amazing treat every morning but it's got their fish oil and their probiotic and a magnesium supplement in there it's just get you adult size supplements and divide them down in, in half for the kid kid portions get kid, kid doses and mix them into applesauce mix them into something and then they come down and they happy and content so I can get myself wrapped up and <laughs> give me a little time before breakfast. So that's my, that's my morning routine.
0: And then earlier you said when you first got onto the paleo diet that you were eating liver, what's your favorite way to prepare a liver so it doesn't taste like butt?
1: Oh, liver is amazing and it doesn't <laughs> taste like butt. So my local whole foods, um, I've made friends with the butcher and um, they're amazing. So they will take liver, kidney, Kidney is pretty horrible. I will agree on the taste profile there. Liver, kidney, heart, and ground beef, grass-fed ground beef, and they will grind it all together. I've perfected my ratio for that. They'll grind it all together for me. I get um, 20 pounds at a time and divide it into 10 two-pound packs, and then I mix it into I make meatballs or I'll do um, a lasagna or a meat sauce or any other thing that you can use ground beef for that don't work out well as burgers because they're kind of soupy um (laughs) but (laughs) don't let that scare you but you can't even tell and um my husband eats it and he is the detector for any everything i just don't tell him what's in it
0: that's awesome that's a great way to do it yeah and then final question here if you ran into a stranger on the street and you had one minute to tell them uh, one way that they can make their health as great as possible, what would that be?
1: Um, avoid inflammatory foods for their bodies. Um, I like it. Yeah, that's it.
0: <laughs> short and simple. All right, thank you so much Amy. If you want to learn more about Amy Slater, then you can go to momsforhealth.com and that's moms the number 4 health.com and she is also located in Holly Springs, North Carolina for personal training. Do you do online training as well or just in person?
1: Um, just in person right now.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much Amy for coming on.
1: Thanks, Brian.
0: And there you have it. Now you have some foundational ways that you can start to transition your family into a healthy way of living. Amy also has more resources that you can look into at momsforhealth.com, and that's moms the number four health.com. Okay, next week we are going to be talking with Christina Christie, who is a physical therapist that specializes in uh, the pelvic floor, and she is going to be talking about ways for women to fight back against incontinence and other pelvic floor dysfunction which there is a really high number of women that suffer from pelvic floor issues. So it's definitely an episode that you want to listen to. Okay, if you enjoyed this episode, then please go to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. I've made it really easy for you to leave that review. Just go to summitforwellness.com slash iTunes, and it'll take you about five seconds to leave that review. They really do impact the way our podcast gets out to more people. So the more reviews we have, the broader our reach can be. Keep climbing to the peak of your health and we'll see you next time.